There is a peculiar power when we combine the Word of God and sacred music. And as I mentioned in the first service, I can remember being a student at Andrews University hearing that song. And it spoke to me. And what a song for the day we're living in. The Lord is the strength of my life, my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, The spirit of fear is the spirit of the world. God's people are empowered to live above that. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that God says His perfect love will cast out that fear. So if you're battling fear and you don't feel like you're winning, I need to remind you this morning in this hour uh, how precious God's love is to you and that He has a special plan for you and every day of your life is numbered. And by God's grace, they'll be filled with meaning. That's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Let's pray. Lord, our lives are yours. Every beat of our hearts, every breath we take is our gift. And I'm just asking this morning that your spirit would be here and fill us so that this new day in this new year could be the beginning of the very best year of our lives. So now bless us as a people. Forgive us when we've not been faithful, Lord. Save us from being proud and blind. And help us today to be humble and enlightened through your Spirit. We come to you now in the name of Jesus whom you've given so freely and whom we receive again. Amen. Uh, This morning I want to start by reminding you that we are in a race. We are in a battle. Uh, The Spirit of Prophecy will say life is a battle and a march. Uh, Some of us have tried to live outside of the race zone or the battlefront. And this morning I will remind you that that is obscene and irresponsible. And if that's how you've tried to live, I'll be challenging you this morning that you're on the wrong path that could be wider and descending. The truth of the matter is, is that as we approach the final birth pangs of our deliverance, as we look to the future and the assurance of Christ's coming, we should expect that life will have some very serious challenges. Uh, If you've studied your Sabbath school lesson, and we're a part of that this morning, which I highly encourage you to do. If you don't have a Sabbath school lesson, you can read it online, or you can stop and get one from our information desk. Uh, It's imperative to understand that God's people are the object of Satan's fury. We are protected and shielded. In this country, we have been shielded historically by more than many countries because our laws have been founded on the principles of the Holy Word and on the great sacrifice of those who began the Protestant Reformation and brought this country into fruition as a result of its precepts and principles. But I do want to, this morning, challenge you in a number of ways and encourage you. The first way I want to remind you is that this world is coming to an end. And while this is not a sermon on the signs of the times, I will speak with you in the midst of it, about a few of them. Let's start by doing this. Uh, The forest is on fire in Colorado. You understand what day it is? It is January 1, 2022. It is certainly not the fire season. All right? I also want to remind you we're in the midst of a real wrestling match over what it means to live in a democratic republic. Is it the common good? Of course, we're all committed to it in some measure that can override individual choice. At some level, that's always up for discussion, but it appears at this moment in time that some people find themselves on the losing end. 
I had a counselor call me from Australia. He said, hundreds of our church school teachers have lost their jobs over mandated vaccination. Churches are split. New churches are popping up. The good news in the midst of Australia is that a secular society has been rocked. I mean, this is a commonwealth. This is one of the daughters, as it were, of the great British Empire, out of which America, if your history lessons serve you well, is our same origin. And yet it looks so very unlike a republic. Remember, friends, the difference between a democracy in its raw form and a republic is the protection of individual rights. It's not majority rule all by itself. It's not the raw run over and throw under the bus the rights of the minorities. And it's important for us to have a few civic lessons at this moment in time because we're watching the lamb go from lamb-like to beast-like. It is the dismantling of a democratic republic. And to what degree we're willing to stand by and let that happen is the dialogue in our society. You may have different opinions about it. Those ought to be protected and enshrined as sacred privileges, not as stifled dialogues. And this is not my subject matter this morning, but it is one of the signs of the times. And by the way, if you've not heard the constant echoing of the common good in the climate dialogue, of which I do think our climate is in trouble, uh, you perhaps have not noticed properly how this theme of the common good is being set up to destroy privilege and right of sacred conviction. And I want you to be paying good attention to this. We're not living in ordinary times. As a matter of fact, we are coming to a conclusion in the controversy. Can you say amen? Jesus Christ paid the penalty and brought the power to be set free from a sinful human nature. Today, you came here, most of you, I believe, as children of the living God who began a good work in you and is well able to give you everything that he's promised. It's the Father's good pleasure, Jesus said, to give you the kingdom. What I believe the devil is trying to do is destroy our ability to love He's trying to destroy our ability to be connected to God and to each other and to be very subtly drawn away from the inheritance paid for by the death of Christ. And so this morning, I want to make sure that you understand as my starting point the knowledge that heaven is for real. By God's grace, we're all going to walk through those pearly gates. We're going to lay our hands on those foundation stones and we're going to stand at the tree of life. And the water, which flows abundantly and beautifully and clearly, is going to flow with this tree that connects at the top and has roots on both sides of the banks. And we are going to partake of the healing that only Christ could bring to us. But I want you to know something. All of those banners hanging in the primary room and the junior room, they're all real. And mine can't conceive. And you can't put your arms around the glorious conclusion of this great controversy sufficient enough. But we ought to, the Spirit of Prophecy tells us, stand on the threshold of heaven and think about it. Heaven is for real. Heaven is the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. We get to go to heaven in the heaven He creates here, even though we're pilgrims and strangers and wanderers. 
But now let me talk to you about the spirit of the world and the spirit of Christ. The spirit of the world is sweet and it's humble. And it's the spirit of Christ, that is, is sweet and humble and true. The spirit of the world is haughty and intolerant. We have a society that's preaching tolerance, but the one tolerance it doesn't have is a tolerance for the righteous law of God and the righteous word of God and the righteous lives of his servants. It has no tolerance for the power of the Holy Spirit doing his convicting work. And when you get to a place where you can't tolerate listening to someone say something, you're in deep, deep trouble. There are a lot of things you might have to hear that you don't like. And there will be some things you hear that you don't agree with. But the truth of the matter is an honest-souled Christian can listen to a point of discussion without the animus of emotion taking over and clouding the vision. I'm going to mention something here. <laughs> this is not the sermon I really plan to preach in some respects. I woke up this morning at 1.40 in the morning. I didn't feel particularly tired. And I sat there for an hour and about 20 minutes making notes, praying. I decided not to preach that sermon. It's not the sermon I had in mind when we made the bulletin up. But I'm going to share something with you that you'll probably hear me say again. The spirit of the world is not sweet and humble and beautiful and compassionate. It's not. I was standing in the aisle right here a Sabbath ago, and I had somebody come up to me who, who is not a member of this church, and they said um, they had been working in someone's home. And they said the person uh, said, Ron got what he deserved. Well, what were they talking about? They were talking about my, my battle, my personal battle with COVID, so I got what I deserved. I want to know about the person listening to me right now who, was, who had every bit the same experience as me with more intense conditions than I did, but probably fits a different category. Did they get what they deserved? I want to tell you something. There is a beauty to the Spirit of Christ that can endure the wrestling of ideas. And there is a darkness to the arrogance of this age and its intolerance to honest-hearted discussion. Heaven is for real, and there's no Seventh-day Adventist with that kind of spirit that's going to walk through those doors. So you may not like some things which you hear from this pulpit. That'll be between you and God and me and God. And let me tell you something, it weighs on me. That's part of the reason I wake up in the middle of the night. It weighs on me. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you get a little confused about what's going on in society, start noting the Spirit. Because the Spirit can't be hidden. And if you want to have an honest disagreement, have it. But it's not honest if the Spirit of Jesus is not in both people's hearts. And I have much more I'd like to say on this subject matter, but it's not my subject matter this morning. It will come. It will come. I'm planning to walk through a gate that has the name of one of Jacob's sons on it. 
It will be made of one pearl. It will be a colossally huge gate. I've been to Notre Dame. I've been to the Taj Mahal. I've been to the Washington Cathedral. I've stood in some of the most awesome places of human architecture, but this gate that I walked through that has my spiritual forefather on it, I'm not sure which one. I'm going to walk through that gate, and as I slide my hand across the smooth pearl surface, I'm going to be praising my Lord that He who began a good work in me saw it through to the finish. And that's what we're all called to in this year. Heaven is for real. Jesus said, unless you become as a child, you're not even going to see it. So this morning, I need to remind you, the spirit of this age is arrogance. It is an age of supposed superiority and blindness to the simple beauty of a humble, surrendered life to Christ. But it's real. I'm planning to put my hand down in the water and take a drink and not worry about giardia or any other disease. I'm planning to reach up and pick a piece of fruit off the tree. I'm planning to look into the azure blue sky. I'm planning to sit down under the shade and talk with people that are my brothers and sisters from the ages that I've never met. I'm planning to sing in the heavenly choir. I'm planning to praise God and I'm planning to gather with the saints on every Sabbath day remembering the eternal rock of ages who came to this earth to purchase me back and shed his blood. I'll cast my crown at his feet. I'll bow my head. I'll prostrate my body and sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. This is my hope and my ambition and for no thing and no person, by God's grace, will I surrender it. And this morning, seeing the face of Jesus is the ultimate reward. The one who would die in your place. This is the finish. This morning, I'm going to go briefly over 10 things that I think you should consider as you start a new year. I'll tell you at the beginning of this sermon, my dad died suddenly five days ago. He doesn't get to start 2022. 2021, Tuesday of this last week, was his last day. He was 79 years old probably got about a dozen extra years because he smoked for 50 years. God preserved his life for three reasons. One is he picked up a cross and carried it for his kids in self-denial. My mother is the one that got me into church school. My father is the one that kept me in church school. I've told you the story before of my bill not being paid and us not being able to come back. I want to remind you today it was my dad who said, we'll refinance the house. 14% interest for years. The second reason my dad's life was prolonged was the residual benefit of Seventh-day Adventist living. When I was a teenager, I wanted to become a vegetarian. 
My dad never in his wildest dreams ever imagined living as a vegetarian, but my dad most of the time was willing to live that way. My mother would fix alternatives for him for sure at times. The third reason that my dad got to live to 79 is that he was an avid exerciser. Now, that didn't coincide with his smoking. My dad, in his younger middle age, actually quit smoking one year and before the year was up was running seven miles in a run. Unfortunately, he went back to smoking. But in my dad's later years, he was an avid exerciser. And I want to tell you, that, along with the blessing, along with the residual benefits, mitigated though they were, of vegetarianism in the Seventh-day Adventist understanding of how to take care of the body temple, my Lord preserved my dear dad's life. But my dad doesn't get to start 2022. I'm starting it now as the patriarch of the Kelly family. He's gone. I'm still here. And by God's grace, not in this sermon, but I'm going to tell you, one of these times, somewhere, if the Lord gives me permission, I'm going to preach the sermon that I wrote out last night. Because my dad gave one final push to me before he died. And I'd like to talk to you about it at some point in time. If you want to live to see the face of Jesus, I'm going to share with you 10 precepts and principles. If you need only one of them, praise God. If you engage with only one of them, that might be all you need. But I'm challenging you this morning because there's a lot of confused Christians who aren't going to see the face of Jesus because of the absence of something on this list. Item number one, take your Bibles and open up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is the story of Jesus and the temptations. Jesus is our ultimate example. And Jesus lived above the impress of feeling with a sense of purpose and duty and a dependence on the Word of God. Now, I want you to know, culturally, you are part of a colossal social experiment. And I'm not talking about forced vaccines. I'm talking about the fact that for the first time in the history of this country, and maybe in the history of any civilized organization or nation, kids grow up thinking they know more than their parents. Well, that's not totally new. But they grow up with more money, more opportunity, and more knowledge about the new world order of technology. And they can have what they want when they want it. All the old school rules of their parents seem like they've been thrown out the window. You shouldn't have to wait more than two minutes at the Taco Bell drive through or else it's not really fast food. And if you want to see something on your phone, it's only a few thumb strokes away. We're living in an age where we've been conditioned corporately to have what we want. The customer is king. Every time I go to Peoria, I do a little nostalgic tour. I stopped and got a nebulizer from my mother. Then I decided to travel farther down Knoxville Avenue, and I pulled into the parking lot of that church where I was baptized, the same church where I will preside over the funeral of my father the last Sabbath of this month, a memorial service. And I, I remembered it as so big, but I decided to count the parking spots. There were about 50 
Then I drove down Sterling Avenue and came to a, a Kroger where my mom and my sisters wanted me to get a little food, so I went in and got it. When I came out, I looked over at a store, and I thought, I wonder if that's that store. My parents, such fantastic people to me. But boy, they sure embarrassed me sometimes. Um, there used to be a store called Venture. It was a department store. And once upon a time, my mother uh, bought some stuff or was given some stuff, I don't know, and she wanted to return it. Now, listen, if you're younger than I am, as I approach my sixth decade of life, then you may not relate to this. But there was a day that I can remember when if you went to a department store, they didn't automatically return your purchase. My mother went into that store and they said, no, we're not taking that back. Okay, let's leave. All the kids were in tow. My mother made it about to the door and she turned around and she went back to that customer service desk and it was one of those moments where my mother was not living as a Christian. It's one of those moments where you start and look around and say, is there a rock I can crawl under here? Because my mother is embarrassing me. But my mother left the store with a refund, not a voucher to spend inside a venture. I doubt there's a store today where if you walk in and say, I want to return this, your odds of getting it returned are like 90-some percent. You know why? Because the customer is king. Because you can have what you want. And you can get it when you want it. I want to tell you, you are part of a great societal effort at the end of time. And I'll tell you, some of the things that you want, you should not have. And if there's a man listening to me today or a woman who's not in a committed Christian relationship and they're experiencing virtual immorality on their phone, God can help you. The love of Christ can deliver you. Love for your spouse can help pull you out of it. But I'm here to tell you today, you are the ultimate customer at the end of the age. And if you don't get what you want, there's somebody else waiting to give it to you. So imagine Jesus, six weeks of not eating, and the devil says, you want bread? No problem. Look at this loaf. At least it could be if you spoke the word. It's a rock right now. And Jesus said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. If there's one thing you need going into this new year, you need the assurance that the presence of God in his word and the convictions of God in your heart based on that word are what must rule your life, not your impulses and not your feelings. I still remember Pastor Andy Stojanovic preaching a sermon. In the sermon, he put up a picture of this octogenarian, Holda Crooks. From the age of 65 to 91, she climbed Mount Whitney 23 times. The picture I saw of her this morning on the internet had her with a backpack on. She said, the head was on top, so I figured the head should rule. That line out of his sermon 
my wife and I have repeated back and forth to each other probably dozens, at least multiple times. The head is on top, but you've been conditioned to do whatever feels good. Now, depending on your age, the conditioning is different. Some of you are a generation older than me. You weren't conditioned to do whatever felt good. You had to milk the cows at 4 o'clock in the morning whether there was a blizzard going on outside or not. You had to go start the tractor and plow the snow whether it was going to take 100 cranks or one. Poverty in your early years taught you things that nothing else can teach you except willful sacrifice and purposeful going without. But the younger you are listening to me today, the more you've been conditioned that you can have what you want when you want it. I'm challenging you. Some of you have come and talked with people desiring a new beginning. I'm thinking of one individual particularly this morning that came and talked with one of our pastors who wants a new beginning. You can have it. Praise God. But you're going to need Jesus to give you some victories, to not let your old habits, which are well ingrained and run by emotion and pleasure, drag you back. Now, in some measure, there's something true for all of us about what I've just said in principle. But we need to know something. This word is timeless and eternal. Its author is unchanging. The principles that are enunciated here are good for all times and all circumstances, including 21st century, secular, atheist, postmodern America. And if you want the best life that 2022 can give you as a gift from God, then this word and this head on top will have to direct your steps. Otherwise, the one who is full of lies and sophistry, the father of lies, the devil, he has studied you and he knows how to trick you into acting off your desires and your fears and your besetting sins. So I'm appealing to you this morning. The head's on top. The word is eternal. It must have first reign or you will serve the wrong master. The second thing this morning that I'd like to suggest to you comes out of the book of Isaiah. We're not going to look all these up. They'll be on the live stream if you want to watch it. Isaiah 30, verse 21, it says, You shall hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. Many of us need a reorientation moment. God desires to speak clearly and distinctly to the waiting soul. We're going to have to slow down, and some of us are going to have to turn around. Now, after I picked up a nebulizer for my, for my mom, I stopped at Costco in East Peoria. Now, when I was a boy in East Peoria, all of East Peoria was Caterpillar manufacturing plants. There were very few roads, but now East Peoria is very different. And I stopped at Costco, and on my way out, I had an idea of how I was going to get home. Now, I have a very natural gift at orientation. I have a very good internal GPS system. But every time, or most every time I've been wrong, it's because my starting point has been off. 
So I pulled out of the Costco parking lot and I turned anticipating that I was going to go under an overpass, turn left onto an on-ramp, and very soon find myself on Route 29, which would take me up through Creve Core, down the hill, turn left into Market Heights, where my parents lived, live. I drove. I went through a stoplight, through another one. I looked right. I saw a Wendy's. It's interesting that I noticed it. I kept driving, and pretty soon I came up to Interstate 74. And I said to myself, I now know where I am, and I am not where I want to be. I turned the car around, went back to the same stoplight where I saw the Wendy's. I turned left, and I was on Route 29, headed home. There are many listening to me today who need to slow down. They need to stop. They need to reorient their life. Without that reorientation, they're going to continue a trajectory. And remember the laws of inertia. An object continues in the direction it's going unless something acts upon it and changes its course. That's a law of physics. Inertia. If I kick a ball this way, it's going that way unless it hits something or something sends it in a different direction. Our lives are no different. We have inertia. Sometimes you have to break the inertia, the trajectory, if you want to go in a different direction. Stopping. So I want to give you a few tests. I want to give you a recommendation. Since God wants to speak to you directly, it's important that you silence some of the other voices long enough to make sure your orientation is right. Because if you start out with the wrong trajectory, you'll end up in the wrong place. Can you be by yourself with no noise, no music, no entertainment? Can you actually be silent for a period of time and be okay? I'm going to give you another test. Do you actually have any desire to read the Bible? I'd like to suggest you on this Sabbath that starts a new year, set a fast period where your phone is off, your computer is shut down, you're not listening to any music, you're just quiet. Do a little reorientation on the appetites of the mind, on the orientation system of the soul. If you can't be silent, and by the way, you know, I've done it as a children's story here. Uh, there are music groups that call themselves True North, but you know, if you have a compass and you have any kind of magnet around it, the compass is worse than dangerous. And whatever the magnets are the devil tries to bring into the sphere of your life, you need the Lord to be able to say, you thought you were on true north. You thought you were headed home. You're somewhere you don't want to be. Let me help you. You'll hear a voice behind you. It'll be in the Word. It'll be in a friend. It'll be in a spouse. But a reorientation moment. The Seventh-day Adventist church as a whole is in need of a reorientation moment. But let's start with our own lives first. The third thing is somewhat related. I want to look at this scripture. Go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. Proverbs, chapter 27. You've heard me talk about the film Amazing Grace. It's the story of William Wilberforce and his effort 
to extinguish slavery from all of the great British Empire. Proverbs chapter 27, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It talks about iron sharpening iron and the wounds of a friend. But in verse 19, this is what it says. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Why do you look in a mirror? Don't you look in a mirror to see what you look like? Why would you look into your own heart? Wouldn't you look there to see what's constituting you? In that film, Wilberforce has a butler. And the butler comes out to find him one day. In the beginning of the film, it tells the story of Wilberforce trying to decide if he's called to the ministry or to public service. And of course, if you watched it, you know that William Pitt, the youngest of all of Great Britain's prime ministers, challenges him to combine his religious devotion in making the world a better place. But while he's sitting in the dewy grass of his estate, the butler comes along and Wilberforce is sitting there talking, looking up to the sky, talking to God. And when the butler sees it, he turns. And he's a rather rotund with his apron on, individual. And he turns to walk away. And Wilberforce calls him back. And he starts talking about religious things. And the butler says, so you found God? He said, no, I think it's more like God found me. And the butler walks in and he sits down on the grass And he starts reflecting deeply with Wilberforce, and he says, quoting from Francis Bacon, it is a sad fate for a man to die too well known to everybody else and still unknown to himself. And Wilberforce cocks his head and looks at him, and he says, I don't just dust your books, sir. He's been reading them. It is a sad fate for a man to die too well known to everybody else and still unknown to himself. Not only do we need to let God rule and our head be in charge through the implementation of God's law in principle and precept, we must stop for a time and reorient ourselves, but we must also stop and let face examine face. And we must stare into our own hearts a little bit to see. The great tragedy of my dad's death in many respects for me is how much I wanted yet to draw out of the depth of his experience and understand him. And in the process, since I came from him, see a little bit of that genetic and hereditary development and shaping of myself. Self-reflection. By the time we become young adults old enough to marry... We ought to be doing a lot of it because there's a family system that we came out of, and that family system is about to be blended into another family system. I stood here less than a month ago and did the memorial for my father-in-law. Very good man. I thought about it but didn't say it then. My father-in-law had a family system. 
And over the years, I began to understand what it was. My family system was very different. Of course, I married his only daughter. Taking from the strengths of his family system that shaped her and my family system that shaped me is a work of divine art. And when it works right, it's so beautiful. <laughs> if you don't take a little time to think about yourself, every problem is somebody else's. <laughs> Unfortunately, too many of the problems in the Kelly marriage have been my own. And the truth of the matter is, not only has Ron had to reflect on Ron, but for 30 years I've been pastoring churches. That means they're growing with me and I'm growing with them. And I bring my whole family system to the leadership of this church. And you bring yours into my sphere of influence. If you don't have any time to self-reflect, you are a poor, poor person. And you might be afraid to. I get it. You may have messaging in your life that makes you feel this big all the time. God forbid. Jesus loves you. And there are many others who love you too. It may yet to be discovered, as I'm going to point out in another point here. But, but by God's grace, you need to let Jesus, your creator who knit you together in the womb, have a little time to talk about not only where you came from and who you are, but where you're going and what he wants to do with you. No time for self-reflection. It's as if God understood and he wove it into the center of the Ten Commandments. You are to stop, not one day in seven, but the seventh. And remember, you're not primordial slime advantaged multiple generations over. You are a child of God and redeemed at eternal price. And I've got a plan for you higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for man, for me, for you. So don't fritter your life away on the trifling. Number four, I'm not going to look this one up. We could all say it together. As a matter of fact, let's do it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Some of you listening to me don't have something as simple as a schedule. You know what that means? Everybody else makes up your priority system. You're like a pinball being bounced around by the circumstances of life. The last two years of my life during this uh, pandemic have been the busiest years of my life. And I can assure you that my father's death, along with a few moments to stop and think during the holidays, it's an important moment for me. Some of you stay up at night and the lighting of your computer screen or your phone and the circuitry of your mind sync all too well and you stay up until you're tired and you fall asleep and you can't get up the next day and heck, the greatest assurance and encouragement and privilege any human being has gotten. That's a personal encounter with the divine, living, creator, redeemer, God. Some of you are frittering away your life on achievements that won't matter much when it's time to retire. Some of you have no time for the church, only to come here on Sabbath morning, and hopefully the sermon's not boring. Some of you aren't taking any time to exercise your physical body. But seeking God first, you can't do everything. The fifth thing, 
is it's important that you take on responsibility. Your commitments are going to guide you. They're going to pull you in a certain direction. I want to connect this to number four, which is seeking first the kingdom of God, because God's church in many places is weak. Weak. Have mercy is right. By God's grace, He's been strengthening this body of believers. One of our student interns has put together a film which we'll show you. It's a little bit mind-blowing in one sense. It's just simply the things we've done during the pandemic. And it goes from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. If ever there's a moment for us to be active, it's now. But this church is not as strong as it's supposed to be yet because the commitments of God's children are not yet focused in some of the right places. You know what the beauty of a schedule is? It also liberates you to say no to the right things. Do you understand? (laughs) If there's one thing I do pride myself on, it's that when I run a nominating committee, I make it very clear we're twisting nobody's arms. The last thing I want is to push somebody's life out of bounds. The other last thing I want is for the church to struggle to survive. God talks. His children listen. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. You know how inconvenient life is? We've been joking a little bit in in our family. We came up to the week of... uh, We came up to the week, a test week for my daughter, and it just seemed like we had one challenge after another. And we started saying how inconvenient life was. Well, I want to tell you, it doesn't get any better. Life is very inconvenient. The cross that you're to carry shows up at the worst times. It's still yours, and mine is still mine. Number six. The broken record is about to spin again. Make yourself connect with people. Do not forsake the assembling together, as some of you are in the manner of doing, but all the more so as you see the finish line approaching. If you don't connect, you don't belong. Listen to me. I didn't say you're not wanted. I didn't say you're not cared about. But I want to tell you something. Belonging is a function of intentional investing. It's going over the thresholds of discomfort in strangerness, impressing into the brotherhood and sisterhood of togetherness. It's not easy. And remember, the customer is king. Man, I can order my groceries. I can order everything I want. I can order food out. I really appreciate the fact that my sister-in-law, if she heard about my father's death, sent us a $100 DoorDash. Well, that was nice of her. I'd never used it before. I could stay in my house and get my clothes and my shoes. I could actually become a modern-day hermit And I wouldn't have to deal with people. It's not an accident. You want to talk conspiracy theory, the Bible tells you about the biggest one. 
which is not a theory, and it is a conspiracy. And that of the devil is out to destroy your desire, your discipline, your devotion, and your determination to cross the finish line. <laughs> it takes work to connect. I told my wife yesterday, remember, honey, I'm a melancholy. She said, you never show up on the test of melancholy. And I said, well, I am. She says, well, you were, something like that. I'm not so much anymore because I've changed. But I'll tell you what, when the snow starts falling this afternoon and I've had my Sabbath lunch, I'm going to sit there and put my own advice, God's advice to work. I'm going to sit there and watch the snowflakes fall and I'm going to be okay just being quiet. I'm going to be okay reflecting on life. I'm going to be okay remembering my dad. I'm going to be okay thinking about who I am and what this year is supposed to hold for me. I'm going to be okay. Praise God. But I want to tell you something. As much as I didn't want to be a pastor, God made me a pastor to save me in the kingdom. And he took this melancholy kid who was very fine being by himself and he put him in a situation where his job was always dealing with people. And what a blessed man I am. You are such wonderful church family. Your love and encouragement has meant the world to me. I'm not the same person I was 30 years ago because I had no choice if I was going to follow God but to connect. It's almost like God just pushing me saying, go, go, go care about that person. If you don't connect, you don't belong the way God wants you to know you belong. Make the effort, friends. It goes right along with the schedule and seeking God first. Three, three four more. Let's look one more up. Ephesians 5. I didn't bring any scripture to bear on this in the first service, and I want to bring it to bear in the second service. Those people think I'm preaching my own theories. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. We'll start with verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Here we go. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Listen, many of you were raised pathfinders and you made a pledge, you'd keep a song in your heart. I'm going to tell you what, simple Christian song is a weapon that devil can't stand up to. And so many times in my home, I hear my wife singing hymns. She's driving back the darkness. Thank you, Mrs. Kelly. And I want to tell you something. <laughs> It's your Bible and your hymn book. Keep them together. Last night, we sang songs. I got my guitar out, and we sang songs. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Now listen, you've got to feel better with a verse like this. Are you ready? Did ever saint find this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. Or sinner find that he would not take him? No, not one. No, not one. Listen, friends, you need to learn the songs. And the old songs, the hymns have stood the test of time. They're classic Christian theology, poetry, and music. They're powerful to drive back the forces of evil. And so much, when I drive to Grand Rapids, bless the Reformed Church heart. There's so many Christian radio stations up there, but most of the music is nothing but rock and roll music with Christian words, and it grieves me to death. 
The spirit of the world did not leave the Christian music experience alone. There's a reason for that. You want the simple, sweet songs, like I'm so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. Those songs that were being sung a generation or two ago are songs that will keep your heart in the sweet simplicity of the Spirit of Christ. And so many of the modern songs are focused so inwardly on how you feel that if God was the great empathizer alone, you must be on certain divine ground. But if Jesus is looking for a measure of connectedness outside of that, you're living in a desert. By the way, no, we'll leave that alone. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, it says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. This is number eight. Pass out encouragement. You've heard me say it in the marriage sermons I've preached. You're either a fountain or you're a drain. I want to tell you something. The world will not be coming to this church primarily because of the Sabbath. Oh, the crisis isn't too far away. Listen to it, friends. Listen to it. The greater good is going to require that someday you give up your SUV and drive a Prius like me because you're polluting more than me. Now, maybe that's overstated, but I want you to get the point. 500 homes haven't burned down in Boulder County without people noticing. It is January 1. Last I checked, the fire season was over a month or two ago. You just wait till the corn doesn't grow in Indiana and the soybeans don't sprout in Iowa or they sprout but they wither on the vine you just wait I'm telling you we're coming to the finish and the greater good isn't going to be good for God's people pass out words of encouragement because it's going to be the sweet communion in the presence of the love of God in his, in his people that is the real magnet to the world. They're going to show up here wondering what this Sabbath thing's about, and they're going to be drawn into the love of Christ through the communion of his people. This is what's going to happen. They're going to taste and see, and they're going to say, this is simple. The Spirit of God is with those people. The sweetness is with those people. They're organized and together, and they process well. And they might not always agree, but they're so agreeable. Yes, it's not going to be the state of the dead or the sanctuary or the spirit of prophecy or the literal, visible, audible second coming. Those are all going to be the bedrock on which we're building because the kind of God that's actually like that is the kind of God you could love and serve and devote yourself to. But I want to tell you something. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. If your mouth is not a fountain, you've got a dirty heart. And maybe it's time to turn off the Sunday afternoon football game and open up the Bible and let face reflect face as you reflect on your own life. Maybe your fear has made you grumpy. That's a nice word, way too nice. Maybe your selfish ambition has made you step on people. 
My father was one of the most unassuming people. Consequentially, he had discernment. <laughs> yes, the mouth of the righteous are a fountain of life. Number nine, given it shall be given to you. Good measure, shaken down, pressing together, and running over. Well, God put it into your lap, for with the measure you give, it's going to be gotten back. Listen, friends, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt we will not only make budget at this church this year, <laughs> But then we're going to come into the new year ready to go in strength because we went over budget. I have confidence. I even have a little bit of an inside track on that, although the treasurer and I haven't talked yet. But I'm going to tell you something. It would do all of you a little bit of good. Everyone to live by this rule this year. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do. Do without. This is not the year to invest. It's the year to divest. You can't proclaim the signs of the times and talk about nearing the finish line and leave the resources for the bats and the moles. It's time for people to take a step. No more church schools should be closing. No more academies should be struggling to survive. No more little churches should be shuttering their doors. I mean, God owns the riches, the cattle. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in his hands of rubies and diamonds, of silver or gold. His coffers are fully as riches untold. So why are his remnant people struggling so much. Go back to one of the previous items in the list. The last thing is I want to remind you that the Bible says two are better than one. If you're married, make sure you're investing in the second part of the formula. If you're not married, invest deeply in some other friend. Your relationships are priceless. Don't chase every opportunity. Listen, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, I press on to the high calling of Christ Jesus. Paul would say, everything else is rubbish to me. Jesus is at the end of the finish line. I've run a couple mini marathons. I've run the Chicago Marathon. I should say I ran most of it. But I'll tell you what, when you get to where you can see the end, you can make it. He who began a good work in you, if you'll let him, knows completely how to finish it. I'm appealing to you. If you summarized the message in a sentence, make God first, and he'll show you everything else that needs to be ordered just the right way. We're going to sing a song, He Leadeth Me. I want you to listen to the words as we sing it. I didn't come be your pastor on accident. 
I had plans that changed over the Christmas holiday. I let God change them. I'm letting him lead me. I want to hear the voice saying, this is it, Ron. I'm offering up my plans to be affirmed or remade. I'm inviting you to do the same thing. It's a Sabbath, the first day of the year. Friends, I'm appealing to you. Let the Spirit speak. Take some time to think. And you may or may not believe in resolutions, but we all believe in new beginnings and decisions. And I'm inviting you to go out of this place today and think about it. One of those ten things fits somebody today. May God help us fit it in the right way so we have the best life with the greatest assurance and the greatest hope in 2022. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn.